And so I thought, what have I got to lose? And I prayed. And it was a sincere prayer at 17 years old. God, if you're there. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, Moving Forward in Truth and Love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel. Well, in a few short weeks, the Museum of the Bible will open to the public, but in a few days, uh, actually not very long from here, the first ever live event from the museum will take place. Um, and it's hosted by actor and producer and Kirk Cameron and a lot of people's uh, childhood um, heartthrobs. From Growing Pains. He's smiling over there. Um, I'm reading your book is why I'm, smi- I'm, 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 I'm laughing a little about the heartthrob thing, but mostly I'm smiling at your book. Really Light, smiling? Light, Lighthouse Faith. This yeah. is so great. This is cool. I'm, I hope you read it. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they take books and, you know, they don't read them. And I'm guilty of that, too. But I try to re- at least re- read a part of the introductions or yeah. introductions well, of a the, couple the, chapters. The, the front and back cover are a home run. It makes me want to read the whole book. Oh, good. Good, good. Absolutely. Well, I want to talk to you about the Re- Revive Us because this is – Revive Us 2. This is um, a sequel to Revive Us 1, which was last year right before the election, right? That's right. Um, so so um, – well, jo- thank you for joining me, first of all, on the podcast. And what is Revive Us? You know, what can we expect to see? Well, here's a little background on, on why I did Revive Us in the first place. So last year, leading up to the presidential elections, I felt this tremendous amount of pressure and anxiety with so many of my friends and for, for obvious reason. One of the things that I found, though, was uh, there were so many people of faith – who were gathering in prayer rallies, they were calling out to God, and they were coming together across religious lines, denominational lines, even political leanings, putting things aside to to climb up higher and and get some wisdom from above. And I thought, why why aren't these meetings being shown in the media? Because that would encourage so many that there is a movement taking place of faith in America. And uh, as a result uh, of not seeing it, I said, well, I've got to try to figure out a way to get this to people. And I've got this really cool ability to, to work together with movie theaters and, and host a live event in the theaters. It's kind of like if you were to go see uh, a heavyweight boxing match yeah. in the theater or the Metropolitan Opera, and it's live somewhere. It's called Fathom Events, right? Fathom we events. always get this in, uh, uh, advertisement when you go to the theater. That's right. right. That's and Fathom right. Events. And so I created an event called Revive Us. And that's what King David said, revive us, O Lord, that your people would rejoice in you again. And here in America, we have the truth. We've been founded on the truth and on freedom. And we need to turn back to God with all of our hearts. Revive Us was a huge success. Uh, Ben Carson uh, came to that meeting along with Francis Chan, Dr. James McDonald, uh, Eric Metaxas, and others. We prayed together. We we worshiped together, and we rolled up our sleeves to talk about how do you bring revival to a nation that appears to be losing its faith in God. Yeah, yeah. Revive Us too is now uh, backed by popular demand because people are feeling again like, but we're still so divided. Now uh, race, religion, politics— uh, the, the national anthem, the fl- everything yeah. is dividing us. And I'm saying, yeah, but an awakening has begun. A fresh momentum is building. I see a shift in our culture, and I want to highlight that positive narrative and bring together more brilliant friends like Ravi Zacharias, Johnny Erickson Tata, 
and and uh, Alex and Stephen Kendrick, who made the movies Fireproof and yeah, War Room. They're great. They're wonderful. All of those people are wonderful. Yeah, and, and we're saying let's get the whole family of faith together because when our family gets together and the spirit is moving, we are unstoppable. And that's what we need now. We need to bring hope and healing and unity to our nation. And you talk about, you know, that we're, we're kind of turning a corner. I mean, how are we doing that? How are we doing that? Well, I, one, I think that when we begin to see division, we see the breakdown of an ideology that says biblical faith, nah, let's try something else. Let's try something more, uh, more creative, more progressive than that. Uh, when we see the breakdown of a culture and the collapse of that and the sourness of the fruit it produces, people begin to say, well, maybe God's word is right. He says that if we walk away from him and his ways, things will not go well. They're not going well. Let's go back to him and his ways, and perhaps he's still kind and gracious and patient and will revive us again. People are seeing that, mm-hmm. that that's the way forward, and I want to be a catalyst for it. You know, you, you talk about this, and and your husband of and a father, your husband of of one, obviously. <laughs> I was going to say a husband of six. <laughs> your husband no, you, of six. It, it wouldn't be a husband of six. It would be a, a husband of one, father of six. Um, why are these discussions about faith and hope and revival so important for families today? Well, I think that they're important because they're important. I, they're important for me as a dad to give my children hope. You know, I, I just I can't stand the pessimistic narrative. I think it's well-intentioned by some, but there's a pessimistic narrative that says, well, kids, the world's getting worse and darker by the minute. We hope Jesus comes by Tuesday. <laughs> and if he doesn't, get ready because all hell's about to break loose and there's nothing we can do. Well, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that's what God, God's word says. My kids um, have real reasons for hope. And it's rooted in our faith. Uh, the most, the darkest moment, perhaps on Earth, was when uh, the light of the world is impaled on a Roman execution device and dies. Uh, there goes all of the hope of of those who believe that God mm-hmm. had come to save the world. And three days later, He rises from the from the dead. He He defeats death. And now that light is spreading across the world. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of how many Hollywood movies that actually get the story right, uh, like The Lion King, You've, oh. you know, or, or like Spider-Man or like uh, Superman. Superman. You, you have the story of uh, this, this wonderful world that actually goes down the wrong path because of great rebellion and there's an enemy and there's the hero that comes to rescue the creation uh, or, or, or the, the, the beauty that he's come to rescue and in order to do that they've got to defeat the enemy and he usually sacrifices himself in order to do that but then right. he rises again and he's not dead, he's back and they ride off into the sunset and not only reconcile but then restore the world around them because of their love. That's the story of the gospel. Hollywood's exactly. been ripping it off for, for, <laughs> for so long and the original story is right back in the book that most of mainstream culture wants to get rid of. Yeah, but, but I also find that a lot of the stories are starting to get a, get the story a little skewed. Yeah, they always try to mix it up, try to <laughs> but you can't. You, you you can't have the bad guy rise from the dead. That never that never feels good in the heart. And so yeah. that no yeah. one tells their friends to see that movie. Or the movie itself creates a 
religious character who is actually the evil person. I mean, I see that a lot, too. Right. Yeah, you know, like, when, you, when know. you start calling evil good and good evil, it never turns out well. No, no, Even, it doesn't. Especially in real life. You know, but, you know, one of the things about, um, you know, Hollywood is that it really does try. And you are really now not just, you know, a former child actor, but you are like a producer. You've produced films. Um, and one of the films is Christmas um, – um, Saving Christmas? Uh, Saving Christmas, yes. Um, I was just looking at the trailer. And this really is kind of a, a, a combination docu-movie. That, yeah, <laughs> it is. I, I don't know what, what you call it. Um, edutainment. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, Christmas is one of my favorite holidays. I know it is for you, too. Is, you love Christmas. I love Christmas. And I know as a, you know, as a Christian, you know, Easter is supposed to be my favorite holiday. But Christmas is the most fun. Let's just... You know. Wow, I love this time of year. I love everything about it. I love the I love the smells in the kitchen. I love the fire. I love the chestnuts. I love the hymns. I love the tree. And I have friends who actually said, well, you know, if you really loved the Christ of Christmas, you wouldn't have a Christmas tree because that's just a pagan worship pole that uh, people would dance around and it's about it's, – it's the evergreen tree and, and uh, all of that materialism and all of that consumerism really has nothing to do with Christmas. And that's why I made Saving Christmas because there is uh, actually great reasons – to continue to celebrate with the traditional uh, traditions that we have about trees and Christmas lights and and amazing stories about who Santa is, where he came from. Yeah, even Saint even Saint Nicholas actually is really a good thing because if you actually, oh my, goodness. my husband's Greek Orthodox and we got married in the Saint Nicholas Greek Orthodox Shrine Church and they have the bones of Saint Nicholas. They fought in, over those bones <laughs> a lot in in the church. So Saint Nicholas is a huge deal in the Greek Orthodox Church. Yes, Lauren. One of my favorite stories is all about. Saint Nicholas. So, you know, I've, I've heard it, you know, Santa, Santa, Santa just like took over Christmas. It's really supposed to be about Jesus. And, you know, S-A-N-T-A, rearrange those letters. What do you get? Satan. Okay. okay wait a second. <laughs> I've never heard that one before. And so I, I did a little research on Saint Nicholas. And get this. He is one of my heroes. Think this is a man named Saint Nicholas. Here is a, a pastor, a man with a deep, committed Christian faith who actually was at the Council of Nicaea in, I believe it was 275 or 375 A.D. And and, he fought. And he fought Arius in in a great battle over the deity of Christ. And when we get the Nicene Creed today... The, the, the declarations in there about Jesus being the Son of God are a result of St. Nicholas standing up to a heretic at the Council of Nicaea. So, Sounds I'm like sorry, a movie I, to me. I Sounds love... like a movie to me. When, when's it, when are you going to make that one? <laughs> I know. Tell me. And you know what? He, the, the, the record says that he actually took Arius to task and smote him on the face. I mean, these were difficult times. Big issues were at stake. Uh, They actually defrocked him because of his actions. But the people loved him so much that they reinstated him uh, as a leader in the church. And he's honored today. Now, I think if we ever got up to heaven and could talk to St. Nicholas, I would (laughs) high-five him. um, And he would probably say, but what'd you guys do? You dressed me up in a little red suit and gave me this belly and the sack over my shoulder and the reindeer. Like, what was that all about? <laughs> and he was. He did have a history of going uh, and filling children's stockings um, in, in the middle of the night. I yes. think it, was, it started out with a very good a friend's children. Yeah, and he couldn't pay his rent and his daughters uh, – th- th- 
it's it, it's a really beautiful story about J- Saint Nicholas and his kindness and his generosity, and uh, he would give gifts to people. And this was a tradition that got picked up. And there's so many great stories uh, surrounding Christmas, even uh, December 25th and the winter solstice and Christmas trees and lights. All of these things uh, have beautiful symbolism that we can uh, embrace at Christmas time to celebrate the birth of Christ, the light of the world coming into the darkness. Yes, you know what? I, and I'm, I'm going to segue into a fun fact about you, which is actually kind of, if you if you understand the, what my mind is actually going through, you got to understand that this actually works. The idea that you know Christians uh. took a Christmas, a, a pagan holiday, and turned it into a Christian holiday because they're celebrating the birth of of, of Jesus. Around this time, which is when they, the uh, the winter solstice, but your name, you're named after James T. Kirk um, of uh, Star Trek fame. That's right. That's <laughs> and right. And you understand it's like, what's in a name? It's like, well, you know, I'm sure James T. Kirk was not the, you know, a big Christian, but here you've taken his name and now you've become a huge <laughs> Christian. So now the name of Kirk is now being associated with being a strong Christian. You know what? And it, you know what's very did you follow that? Anybody? I, I did. I did. I, I did. I, I'm following your thinking. And you know what's even more interesting? And uh, you know, when I grew up, I was, we never went to church. I was an atheist. I, today, I'm, I, I'm, a re- really? I'm a recovering atheist is really all I am. And uh, the word, the name Kirk, uh, if you go over to Scotland and you ask, you ask them, where's the Kirk? They'll tell you, oh, it's right over there. It's the church. Right. It means church. I had no idea. And, uh, but yes, we were Star Trek God does fans. Have a, God does have a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, – uh, Captain Kirk was the guy that I was named after, and the fa- the family joke is that my dad was going to name my sister Spock, but my mom wouldn't let him. Uh, For I don't know. How, I don't know how true that w- that was, but I'm I'm sure Candace appreciates it. I'm I'm curious about this. What turned you from an atheist to a Christian? Well, I, I the, the the simple answer is um, I think God's the only one that turns atheists into full, wholehearted believers. But I think um, – I believe the way that he did that was in the context of me being invited to church by a friend. I didn't go because I wanted to learn about God, but I sat in the back row and I heard a message that just captivated me. It, w- it was not a message of – it was a message of the authority and the and the – and the greatness of God, and you know, being being someone who loves science and loves math and loves history and facts and evidence, I was captivated by a message about hope and love and uh, about creation, and it just sent me into a world of asking so many questions and realizing finally that there are great answers to these difficult questions about evolution, about creation, about God, about other religions, about the Bible and other um, uh, sacred documents. And I finally had just a, a, a very um, – just, just a simple moment of realizing the fact that uh, I was part of the ultimate statistic. Atheist or Christian, 10 out of 10 people die. <laughs> and if I find out that there is a God behind this beautiful universe that I live in and he's been giving me air to breathe and kept my heart beating at night while I'm asleep and I've never once said thank you, what, what, I'm just a fool. And so I thought, what have I got to lose? And I prayed. And it was a sincere prayer at 17 years old. God, if you're there. And it was almost like that, that moment right there of just acknowledging that almost just, you know, laid me out 
uh, in humility because I thought, why should he listen to me if it's taken me this long to even acknowledge his existence? I mean, could you imagine a child never acknowledging their parents' existence for 17 years and yet, you know, eating their food, uh, sleeping in their house, uh, wearing their clothes? God had given me everything. Even obeying their rules, actually. Yeah, 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 because you know that that they're right. And so I finally just uh, said, God, show me the way. And, you know, I opened my eyes from that prayer, and it wasn't like I saw a vision of Jesus on the windshield, uh, nothing <laughs> crazy. But I, I had a different attitude. My, my heart had shifted to want to, um, I guess, be a bit more humble, not so know-it-all, and begin investigating and learning and, and listening to debates and hearing the other side, M- much like what you do and provide on your, on your show, A Spirited Debate. And I became absolutely convinced and persuaded that I wanted to be a person that lived with a heart full of gratitude to the God that gave me life. You know, there's a recent Pew survey out, and I I bring this up because um, it seems as though society in general is getting less religious. And there's a a Pew survey that said that um, 56 percent of the people today believe that you can be good without God. And that's a – it's a very – you know, secular worldview kind of attitude. I mean, the reality is what? What do you What do you think? I mean, yes, you can be good. I mean, I would love to get deeper into this conversation. Uh, <laughs> I got two but, pastors. I'm going to talk to about that too. So. <laughs> yeah, you can be good without God, but um, goodness does not exist without God. So basically, what you're doing is you're 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 willingly ignoring God while you're being good. And you're saying I can be good without acknowledging God, and that's true. You can. You can go help. You can help people across this. Uh, you can help a, a little old lady or a little old man across the street, and you can give to the poor, and you can do that without acknowledging God. But without God, you can't call those things good because you don't have uh, a, a moral bedrock or a uh, standard against which to judge any of your actions. And so, you're th- basically, your thinking isn't making sense. You're being irrational to say that anything is good without God, uh, because your standard is constantly shifting if you don't have something transcendent like an eternal God. But th- that gets a little deep into philosophy and, and, and all no, of that. No, that's very good. That's a that's a good that's a good uh, short version for. Um, for this kind of a, of a venue, but I want to get, but I wanna, actually want to get back to Revivus because I think I, I want to get back to this because I think it's important to talk about just this idea that you can have a revival uh, via satellite or via whatever in movie theaters, and this is just kind of like Billy Graham one oh two point whatever whatever I don't know. I mean, it really is upgrading the idea of a of a of a, of a tent revival. It, it is. Lauren, I want to go back just for a second. You said something interesting. It seems that we're becoming less religious in America. But the the latest research from the Center of the Study of Global Christianity from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary uh, demonstrates that, in fact, uh, all over the world, we have 7.5 billion people on earth and 6.7 billion of them believe in God. It's a very small minority who are actually atheists and do not believe in God. So the truth is... While we may be seeing faith in America beginning to dim as we put God's word aside and we're not passing these principles on to our children, the rest of the world is becoming uh, exponentially more and more religious, Mm -hmm. especially in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. This is very, very exciting. So the narrative that I see is that um, while 
while so many people in America believe that we're so divided and that faith is on the way out, the truth is, is that there is a groundswell of people who are wanting to lean back into their faith, the faith of their grandparents, because they see the current model not working. When you push God out, everything falls apart. And I think, honestly, God in his kindness allows that to happen. Oh, absolutely. Uh, if you don't want me... Uh, all right, I'll be over here. You just see how that goes for a while. It's kind of like we do with our teenager who becomes so entitled at 17. I don't need you, mom. I don't need you. (laughs) Great. Hey, let me help you. I'll help you pack your bags. See how that works for you. And I'll have the light on when you want to come back and talk about what it takes to live here. And I think as a nation, we're realizing that we need God and we want to have God. We want our marriages to work. We want our children to have a good future. So Revive Us too is an opportunity, an oasis for us to get away from the negativity and spend this next Tuesday evening and again uh, the following Monday talking with brilliant and inspiring people and finding ways to bring hope and healing to our divided nation. Yeah. You know what? This is wonderful. And uh, I want to make sure people know that to get tickets for Revive Us too, you can go to... Uh, rev- oh, is it www.reviveus2.com? Uh, Revive it's not to right, reviveus.com. And I think you can also go to fathomevents.com, too, and, uh, yep. and, and log on to get that. Um, That's because, right. So if you want to do that, you know, do that. And then, of course, you can get the, the Encore pre- uh, presentation on November 1st, but the first one is uh, Tuesday, October 24th. Kirk Cameron, actor, producer, and uh, teenage heartthrob. I, I have to say that, too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Thank you so much, Lauren. And I'm really looking forward to reading your book. This looks, this looks terrific. All right. Thank you so much. And thanks, everybody, for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm Lauren Green.